This is the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm your host, Tom Pelton. John Beard is a former ExxonMobil oil refinery operator and firefighter from Port Arthur, Texas. Like his father before him, he labored his whole life in the refineries that surround this economically depressed city on the Gulf Coast east of Houston. When John finally retired after 38 years in 2017, he decided to make a radical change. He devoted himself full-time to fighting against the air pollution, chemical threats, climate change, and coastal flooding caused by the fossil fuel industry that he saw devastating the largely African-American community where he grew up. I recently interviewed him at the Port Arthur City Hall, where he served as a city councilman from 2003 to 2012. And then I took a tour with him around the city, including to his childhood home, to talk about his life. So I'm here in the Port Arthur, Texas City Council Chambers with John Beard. And John is the founder of the Port Arthur Community Action Network. And John recently filed a petition with EPA that was granted asking the Biden administration to investigate the state of Texas for civil rights violations regarding air pollution from a petroleum plant here in Port Arthur. Talk about that complaint and the civil rights basis of that action. Sure, Tom. We based this action on the Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964 because people everywhere have a right to breathe clean and fresh air. And those whom we elect and the mechanisms of government such as uh, the EPA and other organizations are there to help and serve and protect people. When they don't do that, then the people have a right to redress by filing suit against them. So we filed suit against them for not enforcing the Clean Air Act and allowing the state agency, TCEQ, to continually re-up their permits without any restrictions. And this facility, Oxbow Calcinating, places over 11,000 tons of sulfur dioxide, sulfur trioxide, and particulate matter into the air we breathe here in Port Arthur every year. It's visible. You can see it on a clear day, on a cloudy day, on some occasions, depending on the weather, you can even smell it. It smells like burnt matches. If you remember the old book matches you used to have the strike if you're a smoker, that's what it smells like, that old brimstone odor. And this is a plant that's 85 years old and it has no scrubber to control the air pollution. No, it has no scrubber, has no equipment to improve the air. As a matter of fact, according to our attorneys with Lone Star Legal Aid, when they permitted the facility, they asked them, they did not establish a baseline. The baseline that they did establish is their maximum output, that 11,000 tons I told you about, and the rate that that comes out, that was the baseline. So as long as they stay there, which is really their max, they're not exceeding their baseline. But that is too much in the air that we have here in Southeast Texas, which is borderline non-attainment in terms of air quality. It's a lot of a deadly air pollutant being released into a community. It's about 98% African-American, about two-thirds below the poverty line. Talk about how refusing to put on air pollution controls is really an injustice. It's an injustice because in 2010, the EPA declared Port Arthur a showcase city. And in doing so, there was a big meeting at City Hall and all, and one of the things they talked about was that Port Arthur had twice the state 
and national average for cancer, and not only cancer, but heart, lung, and kidney diseases, where we know that what you breathe affects all of those bodily mechanisms. What you breathe in affects the heart because the heart is not able to pump and give enough oxygen properly. And the contamination that's in the air affects the lungs and your ability to breathe because that particulate matter in the 2.5 micron range is so small that it can pass through the air sacs in your lungs and into your bloodstream. So we breathe all of this. And here we are, a population that is economically disadvantaged, that has a poverty rate near 30 percent and people who basically have nowhere else to go because they can't work in these industries here. They're not hired by these companies. We have some of the highest unemployment in the state. The only part of the state that's higher is down in the valley near Mexico, and they have no heavy industry. Yeah. But here we have all of this, and yet Port Arthur has some of the worst unemployment in the state. That is really tragic, but what's more tragic is what's being put into the air that's basically killing some people with every breath they take. Now, you're someone who knows a lot about this. You worked for many years in a refinery, I think an ExxonMobil refinery. Talk about how many years you worked there and what you did. Well, you've already let the cat out the bag, Tom, but don't, uh, don't hold it against me. I hope the audience doesn't either. But I worked for 38 years in the petrochemical business for ExxonMobil Corporation uh, as a process operator and also in the maintenance division. So I have an understanding of those processes. I understand the equipment that you have to work on. I was an emergency responder also, firefighter and, and so forth in the plant. So I understand the interaction of those chemicals and those substances. Did you ever see any fires or explosions at the plant? Talk about that. Yes, I've been a part of them. I had to put some of them out. I've even witnessed some, uh, like the TPC explosion that happened in 2019. And uh, that's seven miles from here. You can virtually see it from where we are here at, at City Hall. Give me some specifics about workers you might have seen being impacted by some of these fires. I mean, it's not an easy business. No, it's not at all. It's uh, very difficult to come into a situation with something burning like that. Uh, and have very little knowledge of what it is, but you know you've got to put it out and you've got to figure out the best way to do it. I've never seen anyone hurt or killed in that regard, and thank God I haven't, but I've been a part of incidents, or I've heard of incidents where people uh, in my you know, former job did get killed and some people that were severely injured by a fire that happened simply because some people uh, and some, well, I won't say that. Let me rephrase that. I've seen it happen because of some mistakes or errors that people have made that people have gotten injured and sometimes killed. Now talk about also the impacts on people's breathing, on children's health. In the community here, what do you see? Well, I like to relate it to people like this. There's an 80-year-old school teacher by the name of Annette Mitchell, and Miss Mitchell used to be involved in gardening in her yard and her flower beds and all of that. She can't do it any longer because her COPD has gotten so bad that she's on a breathing machine, not a breathing machine, but she has to have oxygen constantly. She gets tired very easily, uh, and she has to take not only be on the breathing machine, but have breathing treatments. Then you have uh, Alcina Hardy, who has a six-year-old grandson who has to be on a nebulizer and carry with him. What was your reaction on October 15? The Biden Environmental Protection Agency said it would investigate the possible civil rights violation of the local residents by refusing to control the air pollution from the oxbow plant. How did you react to that? Well, I, I, I anticipated they would have to because one of the things I knew or discovered in my research was that the TCQ was already under a consent decree by the courts for violating civil rights. 
on a similar case. And knowing that and having my background in government brought me to the conclusion that if they're in violation of that consent decree, which means basically, okay, we'll slap you on the wrist, but go and sin no more, you know, yeah. do better. Yeah. And they're not doing better by Port Arthur. Yeah. Then I took it upon myself to tell our attorneys that we're not only going to just go after them for the violations of the air quality permits that we know we already have, we're going to go on some uncharted ground. But that's already been proved, and that is filing this complaint. But we're going to get the EPA to do it because TCEQ and the state government that we have under the Abbott administration is simply not going to do it. They are pro-business and pro-friendly to industry, and there's nothing industry wants they won't give them. Now, you were born here in Port Arthur. Yes, sir. And talk about how the community has changed over time. How old are you now? And describe the changes you've seen. Well, you would have to bring up my age, but I don't have a problem with that. <laughs> I'm 65, only recently turned 65. I've lived here all my life in Port Arthur. And, uh, you know, what it has done is it has made life more difficult for people. Uh, as I said, you know, when I grew up here, the kids I went to school with either had parents that worked at one of the plants or they worked for a company that did business in the plants or they worked for any number of other businesses. Well, the petrochemical industry after 73 took a downturn. They've reduced manpower and all of that. And then some of the policies changed where they weren't hiring as many people of color. And that's still an issue that we fight to this day. So what percentage would you say of the employees, we see a lot of refiners around us, are people of color now and back in the 60s or 70s? You had you had representative numbers today, not nearly so. There are more people that work. Backwards. Yeah, there's more people that work in Port Arthur who are not people of color and who don't live in Port Arthur than Port Arthur residents do in these industries. You know, it's so funny. They drive to, in from out of, out of town. They're driving from out of town. Then a lot of these companies now contract their work out. And they contract them to companies that are, aren't in town that don't hire Port Arthur people, and when they travel kind of like a migrant workforce to different other areas on the Gulf Coast, it's largely petrochemical, they bring their people with them. So it displaces our folk who are unemployed from getting work, while at the same time, we're not being hired and we live right here in town. So it, it's, it's a very discouraging situation and it's reflected in the way the city looks now. Downtown, as you see, it didn't used to look like that. Right now it's pretty bad. It's a ghost town. And there's some signs of revival and revitalization, but it's not nearly what it was 40, 50 years ago when I was growing up. This, was, this area was nothing like that. And life has changed significantly. And a lot of those people are still alive and living but because they never worked in the petrochemical industry or made the kind of money that would allow them the ability to move and go somewhere cleaner, better, and safer. They're stuck here. And they have nowhere to go. Then to bring up the fact to climate change has caused these super storms and hurricanes. Hurricane Harvey uh, hit this area and virtually put 80% of the city underwater. You had hurricanes Ike and Rita, which basically passed right over Lake Sabine. Hurricane Rita did and blew all the water out of that lake. The people you see over there in the marina well, told me stories of the fact that they went out during the eye of the storm passing over when it was calm. And you could see the bottom of the lake. Well, lake's no more than about 8 to 10 foot deep. You can see the bottom. You know, a guy that had his boat over here found it in Sabine Pass, eight miles away over there, because the, when the water shifted, it blew it out. Uh, you've had, you know, Hurricane Ike and all of these storms. So Port Arthur's being hammered by climate change, that's right. which has been caused in part by the petroleum industry uh, that's polluting the air for the immediate right, yeah. residents as well. So it sounds like the hiring of local people and the hiring of people of color has actually gotten worse. Um, has 
I don't know, technological changes also hurt. For example, are there fewer jobs that even exist at the many petrochemical plants around here because it's all automated? That has reduced some of it, but they still have to hire people. You know, yeah. years ago you had an aging workforce, so you had to replace them with people. But some of the things that would have been necessary to offset the loss of jobs here simply just simply weren't done. You know, they were bypassed. I think that it really came down to not being a commitment by industry to hire Port Arthur people because the people that did the hiring, first of all, didn't live in Port Arthur. They didn't go to they didn't go to church with me or were part of uh, the things that I do in the social realm. Their kids don't go to school with my kids. They are not part of the PTA. Their sons and daughters don't aren't cheerleaders or play on the football or basketball team. So they have no real interface with us to know us. And there was a saying that goes that whenever you see a an application that has a African American sounding name or it has 77640, 77641, or 42 zip code on it, that you take the application, you smile and be polite, and then when they leave, promptly put it in the dumpster. What we have here is billions of dollars being earned every year by these very profitable refineries. Almost none of that coming back to Port Arthur. No, it doesn't. And then they get tax abatement, uh, and also the city's tax policy, which is called uh, in lieu of agreement, does not have them pay taxes like the regular property owners does. So you've got tax breaks, you've got basically efforts to avoid taxes, yes. and uh, that basically short shrifts all the local children, for example, who need right. education. And also we do see vacant lot after vacant lot after vacant lot, and it's amazing because it's not like there's no industry in the area. You look around and there's businesses all around us making lots of money, and yet so much vacancy. You know, the sign says, Port Arthur, all-American city. What does it say about America that it allows such abandonment? What it says about America is that we are not as fair and equitable a nation as we like to make people believe. Uh, we like winners and losers. Everybody loves a winner, but when you have winners, sometimes you're going to have losers. Well, in the game of life, you shouldn't have it because we all have the right to have an opportunity to be able to live and to do well. And people in Port Arthur, in an area where all of these jobs and all this cre are created and these companies are located, should not look like this. Everybody who wants to work should be able to work and be employed gainfully and well enough so that they can afford a better life. But you don't see that here. But the bedroom communities that surround Port Arthur are considerably different. All you've got to do is look up their statistics, their in the household income the great disparity in it. The average income or median income in Port Arthur is a little less than $35,000. For the area, it's closer to maybe $70,000. The average home value in Port Arthur is about $55,000, whereas the average home value in Southeast Texas is well over $100,000. So if your house is not as good as mine, your job is not as good as mine, you can't have the trappings of wealth that other people have who are making more money. And you don't have the loans, you, you don't have the capital. Uh, I mean, it seems awfully wasteful. Wasteful not only, obviously, of the land and the properties and the, the physical plant of Port Arthur, but of human lives. Yes, it is. It's, it's basically making people disposable. It's throwing them away, and in some cases, a lot of cases, I believe, based on the color of their skin. Can we go out to Oxbow? Yes, we can. Let's do that. an old boarding house that was here and several other businesses, a taxi stand. 
Com yep, Como's Barbecue Pit used to be at the corner. There's Miss Bluchie's that's still there. That other building used to be the uh, Longshoreman Hall. This is the old A.E. Scott Furniture Company. I remember my, my family used to buy furniture from there, but it was what it was then. Now it's all boarded up. Yep. Well, they bought it. Someone was living in there, and they, but they bought them out. It's amazing. It's almost like you're driving through a ghost town. Where, it where is. You remember things, and it's, when I look at them, there's nothing there. Yeah, and I and you know we 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 tell that to people all the time. We tell our kids about what it used to be, and hey, this is what like I told you, this is what used to be here. That's what used to be there. Here's where they used to play softball, and here's where they used to do this and the other. And they look and they kind of laugh at you know at the time because. Couldn't imagine anything was ever there. You see the plume in the air? Can you see it, Tom? Oh yeah. Look at it coming from the stacks there like that. Brown smoke dripping across. Well, the we sky. saw it brown, but now it's changed to kind of this light bluish tint. Yeah. Look how far you can see it going. If you stop and stand for a second, wow. you can see it moving. Yeah, it's almost like there's a fire. Yeah. And wow. people want to tell me, oh that's not, that's not that. Those are clouds. I say, no, clouds don't look like that. Okay, now we're out near the Oxbow plant, plant that uh, dates back, I think, to the 1930s. Yes. Uh, and owned by a billionaire, uh, William Coke. I think it's worth $2.2 billion. When I look at that facility and I look at the condition of the community uh, around it, uh, do you think William Koch has some responsibility to the community here? He showed us all the burden of responsibility. William Koch can decide with us what I like to say, the stroke of a pen to tell his people that we're going to do this, we're going to make it better and safer. We create jobs, but we don't want to hurt the community. So being that he's not doing that, it's our obligation, myself and Pecan and others, to try to show that the health effects that come from this, and especially the EPA, that the health effects that come from this, the discharge and the type of pollutants they're putting up here, to look at the volume of pictures and to look at the information we've received that this plume has, that, that, that substances from this plume have been detected as far as 20 miles away in Beaumont and in Orange to our east. One of the biggest sources of uh, pollution in the state. That is, they're, they're, they are what I call a serial polluter. 11,000 tons of sulfur dioxide, sulfur trioxide, and the particulate matter that you see in the air. 11,000 tons. A real environmental injustice. That's an environmental injustice. It's an environmental hazard. You know, people talk about America as being a rich country, but I'm from Baltimore. There is so much of Baltimore that is just abandoned. Yep. And uh, I grew up in Michigan. There's so much Michigan that just abandoned. And I see that here too. I mean, it's almost like we're not actually a rich country, but a country with a few rich people and an awful lot of abandoned communities. That's right. I think that's exactly right. Matter of fact, I was in a discussion or basically really an argument with someone today seeing on Facebook saying that, uh, you know, millionaires and billionaires hadn't done nothing to, to hurt anybody. I said their money has. Their, they've used their money to amass power and to amass uh, public opinion, to amass uh, the, the policy changes to being on their side to make it more convenient for them to amass more money, which amasses more power. Like so, these tax breaks. Right. So, like yes. They have the power. They and I told breaks. him, I said, if yeah. you believe that nothing they do affects us, you're sadly mistaken. Matter of right. fact, you're deceiving yourself. That's right. 
So uh, tell our listeners where we are. We're at 1147 Welford Avenue in Port Arthur, Texas, my uh, birth home location. And so you grew up here, and interestingly, now it's a vacant lot, which is similar to a lot of lots in Port Arthur. Talk about that. That's right. Well, a lot of times when the people get older, the family leaves or whatever, or the children leave, there's a lot of, uh, I guess you say, absentee landlords or owners there. I still live here, and you know, the property is still here, but the house is no longer here. The house fell into some disrepair, but those trees you see, my mother planted all those from the cactus-looking ones to these eucalyptus trees. Uh, That gate there at the back, I used to climb on that gate, and sometimes when I was Real young and spry, I even figured out how to get on top of the house from there. <laughs> when, when I was lighter and younger and a lot stronger, I would just get my hands up there and just jump and push, and I could get that leg over and climb and sit up on the roof of the house and then play in the backyard with my dog and stuff like that. And A lot of good memories here? Yeah, a lot of good memories, you know. Also memories of the tank farm where those cars and trucks are parked now. That's where the Texaco tank farm is. And if you Google Earth pictures of it, especially further down, you'll still see the footprints of some of those tanks that were there. Wow. But so that's but, how close I live. There's Valero right over there, and there's Motiva just the way over yonder. So you basically, you basically grew up across the street from a, a tank farm full of petroleum tanks. That's right. And uh, so was there any odors, or, 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 or was there... You bet all the time. <laughs> Yeah, it wasn't a day go by that you didn't smell something, but what happens after a while, you know, my dad had a saying when kids who drive through between both of the refineries right there along the highway, and uh, you'd smell that odor, which I know now is that H2S crude oil, and you'd kind of, ooh, that smelled bad. He said, don't turn up your nose at that, that's the smell of money. And he was right in the way, but it was also the smell of death, too, because it created a lot of, you know, problems for people with the poisons and toxins and all of that in the air that, you know, people just didn't know they were breathing. And uh, did you see people in your community suffer from those poisons and toxins? Well, yeah, Miss Scott that lived next door to us, uh, we were in California when she passed away and she she had asthma, you know, and a lot of people's conditions like asthma and I with my hay fever and others with COPD and other respiratory illnesses. Those people have value, but the system doesn't teach you to value people. It only teaches you to value money and what people can do to help you get money. And if they can't help you get money, they have no value. But no one is the the Christian faith and the faith we have in this country that we say we are built on does not devalue people no matter who they are, where they're from. But we do, you know, as, as I heard a person say one time, storms don't discriminate. No, storms don't discriminate, but people do. This has been the Environmental Integrity Podcast. I'm Tom Pelton. To learn more about the Environmental Integrity Project, visit our website at www.environmentalintegrity.org.